A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott. Hello, Josh Brown. Let's do the games of the year, shall we? Well, there's been some games this year, hasn't there? There's been two or three. You might call them, <laughs> you know, just a few little things barely escaping for air in between these various video games. Even as we record this, I'm looking forward to the AEW game. That's in a couple of days. I keep mentioning this, hoping that some sort of free copy will arrive, but it hasn't yet. The amount of AEW clips and uh, the, the game clips that you have liked is outrageous. Yeah. Keep popping up on my uh, Twitter. <laughs> every single day. I feel like I'm being subjected to it like Alex and a clockwork orange, eyes I, peeled up and looking at people getting put through tables. Someday you'll start watching the product and then you'll really start liking it. There was a bit forbidden door was the other night. Hey, it's funny you mention this. The Go past on. few nights I've been getting into wrestling video essays, Ooh. which our boys should do, to be honest. I yeah. want to watch video essays done by them we'll because some. I've been um, jumping into just behind the scenes stuff, which I've always been quite fascinated in how that company works. Dark side of the ring podcast on it and stuff so you know what I'm in the you're in, in man as much as I can be in a wrestling mood I'm in a wrestling <laughs> mood I would recommend Forbidden Door which was the crossover between AW and NJPW the New Japan wrestling um, organization but this is a gaming podcast yes. and we should talk about the best games of the year we both have 10 picks they are entirely subjective I don't know what your picks are you don't know what mine are and we're just going to alternate back and forward my, I will start with my number 10 Go on. Um, which is Aka R what? a game that is, <laughs> I guarantee six people will have heard of this is from Jeff Minder, the dude that created Tempest back in the day, one of Atari's genius minds, uh, nicknamed Yak, um, did a version of Akaar back in the day, but it didn't make the light of day um, in the 70s or the 80s or whatever. Dude continued to make various versions of Tempest and various versions of games that did come out on Atari systems, and then for whatever reason, Akaar just came together. It was kind of because of the whole Atari revival project that's happening. Um, last year, there was a compilation of games called Atari 50, um, which just told the whole story of the company back from the 70s all the way till now including various talking head segments and whatever with the team. And I love that thing. That made me realize just how important all those people were, how important Atari were. Not that I didn't know it massively before, but getting it in like a proper documentary style mm. where they refer to games in conversation and then you can just pause and play them. I think that's brilliant. I think all archival stuff should be presented like that. Um, and then Jeff Minter putting out Aka R in 2023 as this, like what he would have done kind of thing or what he always wanted to do. Um, there was like a version of it that released and you can play it on it in the Atari 50 collection. But Aka R on Switch is the 
you want. What a fascinating um, history. It's weird. Because everything you just said there, you might as well be in talking in tongues. Like, (laughs) what is Tempest? What is Atari? I don't know. What are those things? (laughs) I just knew that would pop you. I just knew that would get you. You had to play Chrono Trigger, so I'd be like, maybe, I don't know. It's true. I've not played any of those games, to be fair, that you just mentioned. But um, I can respect something that is this long in the tooth. Yeah. Storied, finally releasing the game itself. I did cheekily have a check of off it his when you nuts. mentioned it there. Um, it looks not for me. So go the, on, go I'll, on. I'll mention that that's the whole thing. The whole thing that Jeff Mint uh, sort of prides himself on is a very simple set of game mechanics that are very Moorish. They're very just sort of immediately responsive and arcadey as hell. Like that was the you. Pro- I think you would recognize Tempest if you saw it. He plays like a little yellow like creature, and you're trying to defend the end of what looks like a tunnel, and there are various creatures coming down the tunnel. I'm googling while you speak. <laughs> It was all like wireframe style. There are various, there have been various versions made over the years. There's a version on the Jaguar that people say is the best one. Whatever, that's Tempest. Um, but in terms of the way that Minter tends to approach his games, have you seen a picture of it yet? Gun to my head would not have guessed that in a million years. <laughs> Did you recognize it at all? Or no, okay. not a single frame. There was even, <laughs> it only consists of like five frames. Anyway, <laughs> there's, um, there's a version of it on um, Xbox 360 called Space Giraffe, where he c- kind of came back again back then in the 2000s and did a game called Space Giraffe, which was very much like Tempest. But either way, Jeff Minder, overall, the dude, is known for doing really psychedelic, over-the-top video games that play immediately well. Um, and Aka R is just this thing where it's it's on like two levels and you're on the top level trying to defend various uh, regions of a certain symbol against attacking um, enemies. But if they get past you, they go down the tunnel into another level and mm. then you need to phase between the two and take them out in a more like twin stick kind of way. So you're planting bombs on the top level to detonate in waves that would catch the enemies. But if they get through, then you, it becomes a twin stick shooter and you take them all out on the bottom level. Yes, I sound high AF, but it's great. This list is already getting off to a good start because this is this is a surprise. I have not <laughs> even heard you mention this all year to the point where I actually can't believe it's on the list. It's on the not Switch, but you... Because you, I doubt it. Your just, Switch is in the sea, so I, don't, is, I can't recommend him Switch stuff. That is true, to be fair. That yeah. makes a lot more sense, yeah. I, did, I thought if I rec- if I came in 9am to Josh Brown, Aka R's really good, you would have melted or left the room. That's it's a not good what point. No, you're right. It's, it's wrong by me because <laughs> I shouldn't be judging games uh, based on their covers or one screenshot or how old they <laughs> might be. Oh, may I not also, be. it kind of breaks my legacy rule of like not having remakes or remasters in here because yeah. it, it it's not that similar to the original one because technology has advanced so much. I do think it's distinguishable. Um, if you compare the 70s version to now, it's hilarious. But uh, it is one of those things where the guts of it were always there from like 40 years ago. Um, but yeah, Akar, if you like a media arcade video games, is really, really cool. I rate that a lot. Yeah. I'm going to move to my number 10 Please now. do. Actually, I want to shout out an honorable mention first because Final Fantasy 16 is on my list, but that's just purely because I haven't played enough. I wouldn't know how to rank it in an actual list against other things. You I've say played. this. I have it quite high on mine. I've only played well, two hours of it, though. You've played way more than I've me. I've played about least. 12 now. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, you understand what the game is, I think, a little bit more. But mm. I want to shout it out because it will, I think, at least based yeah, on yeah, this yeah. early Doors assessment, be on the list at the end of the year. We will also do a spoiler cast when we've both got through the whole thing because there's already so much to talk about. Yeah. But my number 10 is Hi-Fi Rush, which is Ooh. a game that uh, a lot of people raved about at the start of the year. And I jumped in, played for an hour, enjoyed it, and then just, for whatever reason, did go back to it. There mm. was so many games this year. Dead Space was out, you know, shortly afterwards that it just kind of dropped off. But after the effusive praise died down, 
I eventually went back to it and started plugging away at it a little bit more. And what a nice game. What a nice surprise. I can see why people were so endeared towards this uh, because it does feel kind of like a video game-ass video game in terms (laughs) of its mechanical nature, you know, it being a rhythm action game where you have to hit to the beat. Um, The presentation of it, the kind of cel-shaded art style and the cinematically drawn cutscenes that have a real sense of energy and pace and personality Mm. to them. There's a lot in there to like. I don't think it's a perfect game, hence it being 10, and I imagine it probably won't be on the list at the end of the year. I can see it getting pushed out, but what a start for what I hope is going to be a franchise, and everything I like about the foundation in Hi-Fi Rush, I only want to see expanded upon Mm. in a sequel that can hopefully double down on those mechanics and really ring out every, you know, second of potential in them. My thing with Hi-Fi Rush is that I really wanted more of the, either the licensed music or just different tempos of music because they stick to the same time signature pretty much the whole way through. And I kind of just wanted things that, do like, if you did like a metal DLC, I mean, there's there's a lot of like kind of fun horn throwing attempts at rock in there. Very much like if a Fortnite character threw the rock symbols up through the through right. the horns up. I can get on board with it. It's fun enough. It's very cute. Um, and I did love my time with Hi-Fi Rush, but I kind of wanted something that would challenge me a lot more um, in terms of the time signature stuff, in terms of like the composition of the songs. It just after a while, it felt like I was doing the same kind of combos on the same kind of beats. Um, but it doesn't take away from the stuff it does unbelievably well. Maybe the best looking game of the year. Oh, like, yes. I, I mean, there's obviously the whole get behind that. Yeah, the whole debate around like fidelity versus art style. But if we're talking art style, nothing's even close to it. Like, I don't think the writing in this game is perfect, no. but the world building combined with the world design, it just. Yes, it's cliche to say. It reminded me why I fell in love with video games because right, it was so okay. instant and it was so video gamey feeling, mm. for lack of a better term, that I couldn't help but be really endeared by it. And yeah, I have a little bias because I really do like the developers as well. Yes. I want to see them succeed. Mm. But even outside of that, I think it's just, you know, you can get it on Game Pass. Give it a try. Even if it's not necessarily your thing, didn't think it was going to be mine, it might make a really good first impression. And I yeah. think it does. Massive shout out to Tango Gameworks. My number nine is Diablo 4. Oh. Um, a game that I like. I like a lot. I like it more than Diablo 3. It's just that it's so unbelievably repetitive that I can't completely sing its praises because I'm very aware of how much the Activision Blizzard loot machine is just kind of abusing my time. I'm enjoying it, but I'm very aware of the, the clockwork mechanisms that pin me in place and just sort of like trick loot over me and go, you happy now? Do you want some more? And I go, yeah, okay, but it's never ending. I'm never going to finish it. Even if I finished the campaign, it would never be done. Not trying to drop you in or anything Please like do. that. I just remember you saying something similar about um, Vampire Survivors mm. last year in terms of it being kind of a similar thing, but the rewards being totally. so thick and fast that you kind of can get into that loop. Vampire and just Survivors is the Diablo formula. loop, but yeah. without the combat. Ah, that's I interesting, would say. man. Like, it just automates everything. It's like, hey, if you just want to just acquire stuff yeah. and just feel that rush, then fine. That, to me, at some point bottoms out. Yeah. But I get that, that, yeah, that's entirely what Vampire Survivors is. I've never been a Diablo player. I really enjoyed playing Diablo 2 back in the day, but I mean, that was how long ago? 15 years, 20 years ago. <laughs> so much so that I was... Before what culture existed. I was a young, young child playing that. You mm. know what I mean? I had no idea basically what PC video games were or <laughs> how they played. But I remember the art style of that staying with me over the years. And the fact that the art style for Diablo 4 is where... Um, I, I'm hesitant to say grittier, but it's darker it's, for yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, it's kind of more heavy metal, for lack of a better term, yeah. again. And that appeals to me more than the art style of 3 ever did, which just wasn't my vibe mm. at all. So I am kind of 
eyeing up Diablo 4 and the way it looks, the way it plays, thinking maybe one day, but I know how many times I've said that about a game before and just <laughs> never got to it. They do, I mean, for Diablo 4, like, um, they do have really cool ideas in there. Like, the thing that sucks is that it's constantly online, and if the servers go offline like they did on Sunday, um, you just can't, everything goes off. Even if it's a single-player game and you're not with anybody in your party, um, it needs that constant servicing. The benefits of that are that they can randomly plug in other characters, other players, into your world, and a random human player will just run onto your screen. Maybe you emote with them, and then the two of you go off and do a mission together, or a quest, or whatever. There are also, like, random mini-bosses that turn up, and you can just join another player and fight them together, get all the loot, and everything else. It is, like, a perfect version of the loot grind. It's mm. just that you're not really doing much else. The story in the world, like, the world's great. The world design is awesome. It's just that, and Lilith is a really good villain, um, and she's presented really well. The cutscenes are brilliant. The cutscenes are genuinely great. Um, it's just that thing of, like, it's really just go kill the evil stuff. There's not really much else going on. So um, every side mission that I've done, and I'm about, I don't even know, 15, 20 hours into it. Like, I've played a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because um, I didn't get on board with Diablo until this point. I always kind of hovered around three. I bought, like, three copies of it and just never stuck. But now that I'm on the Reddit threads and the social media and everything kind of just looking at other new players going like, is this all there is to this? And right. all the people going like, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. new guys. What more do you want? What more do you want? It's, it's an extremely satisfying combat system. You get to do really fun character builds and there's tons of loot that, that just spits out of every orifice of that game. And that's great but it only gets it so high on my list. Interesting, man. Like, I'm going to be really fascinated to see if this penetrates a lot of people's Game of the Year list at the end of the year, because there was obviously a lot of hype at launch, a lot of people really enjoying it, but there's so many games this year, I I wonder which ones are going to have the staying power, Mm. and with it being kind of a sequel that, like I said, is doing well, will it... Will it, I don't know, will it have that longevity in it like Diablo 3 did, which, you know, was successful for a decade. Still you know? is, yeah. Still is now. Mm-hmm. And my number 10 is, no, my number, number nine. 10, my number 9 is Warlong, which is Ooh. another Game Pass game. That full clarity I did not finish, but I did play it for 30 hours. <laughs> I have an issue with uh, the developers of this game, um, Team Ninja, yes. if I recall. I always get that mixed up with Ninja Theory because I'm terrible. Uh, Team Ninja, who made you know the Neo games as well. I also loved the Neo games, but mm. didn't finish those either. <sighs> finish one and not two. Unfortunately, while the gameplay loops of their recent titles are absolutely stellar, as is the level design, um, it, it just they're just too bloated. Mm. And I get to the point where I've kind of seen it all, and I don't feel the pull to get to the end. I thought this would have been the one that finally got me into it, but after a week away, the pull just wasn't there. That right, said, right. the 30 hours I did spend with it were incredibly satisfying. If you're a fan of those Neo games or Souls games, which this takes a lot of inspiration from, um, I think you'll be right at home. This makes a lot of really cool tweaks to the Neo formula that I personally um, enjoy a little bit more, like kind of changes to uh, a parry system or you have different kind of stamina meters that you have to juggle this time around to get in attacks on your enemies. There's a brutal first boss that um, teaches <laughs> Using their own to play the game that you know might uh, stop a lot of people from continuing because mm. it is just so hard and demanding. But if you play it on its own terms, there's a lot there to like. The combat is so bloody satisfying. The <laughs> bosses are really, really um, visually interesting as well as really fun to fight. And there's a cool kind of uh, it's like essentially like an honor meter that kind of replaces the general level scaling that you have in similar games where you do have leveling up that you do when you bank your currency and you can increase your strength 
strength and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. But there's also um, a kind of leveling up system that's happening in every uh, level and arena that you're fighting in that you have to um, continue to increase in order to fight the hardest levels within those enemies. So it kind of right, okay. tries to onboard new players by saying like, look, you don't have to think about all of these stats. Just think about getting this level high in the area that you're in right now and you'll have a fighting chance, which mm-hmm. I kind of appreciate. Um, I think it's a really cool continuation. I just think it's held back by it being a little bit iterative for a next-gen game. I thought it would look prettier. I thought it would run Mm. better. And I just kind of want to see the next evolution from this studio now because I don't think they can keep releasing games that are on this level because it feels a little bit held back by the technology and it feels like there's more they could do with this formula on a... On a, on a bigger scale. But that said, still recommendable. And if you're a fan of this franchise, or a fan of those developers, and a fan of this kind of subgenre, you'll like it. That's one of the things that I think was hard for me was like I played the first sort of 45 minutes-ish. I did a lot more on the beta, the open, the demo beta thing they put out. And I was just like, yep, it's another one of them. It's crushing me into the uh, to a fine pace, and I don't have the stomach for it anymore. Um, whereas like Elden Ring, like obviously like over 100 hours or whatever it was in that. So I thought Wolong was really solid, but I was like, I'm starting to detach from this genre um, because there are so many of them. So I'm just going to like, like, give it a minute. My number eight is Bat Boy, a game that is <laughs> in my games of the year overall. Games that no one else is playing, if we're talking about stuff that's been overlooked in the year so far um, from Sonsai Games. I just love this thing. I love old-school pixel platformer stuff. Um, already sang this thing's praises on the Overlook Games of the Year so far, games that no one's playing so far. So I don't know what order these things will be going out in. I think this podcast will go out soon. Yeah. Yeah, this podcast will be going out this week. So, um, yeah, if you like 2D pixel platformers and you kind of hold out for those really special ones, like a Shovel Knight, like a The Messenger, they come but once every four or five years. Yes, it's an extremely um, busy genre. It was the go-to for the early 2010s, but this is the one where if you're just keeping an eye on the genre overall and you do like a good tight 2D pixel platformer, this is the one that stands out. In terms of playing as Bat Boy, um, you unlock various abilities across the story but you also have the ability to just reflect projectiles back at enemies. The thing that kind of gets in the way of this getting higher is the brutal difficulty because that's what I'm expecting. It's what I want from this genre. I do like piloting my pixel, my collection of pixels as my dude through an assortment of other pixels to get by obstacles. But the amount that this thing asks you to do on one checkpoint is brutal. Um, To the point where you're doing like three, four, five screens of tons of enemies, tons of timing-based puzzle stuff, slowing time down to jump on a bunch of boxes while deflecting projectiles um, all on one checkpoint and then being kicked all the way back. The fact that the levels don't have checkpoints if you leave, if you go to a different game, yeah. um, you got to do the whole level again. And so uh, like it's, it's things like that where I was like, could you guys not have just, just give me a little save checkpoint or something? Oh, brother. Like it's I wasn't brutal. into this game from what you mentioned um, previously, just because it takes a lot for me to get into a 2D game, 2.5D right. game like this. But when you bring up brutal difficulty <laughs> and I'm speaking your language. fast checkpointing, I think I'm in. How does that make you gain? Man, because the games that I play in this kind of general genre are your blasphemouses, right. are your hollow knights. So the idea that this has, you know, that level of challenge to it, that is <laughs> kind of music to my ears and maybe I want to play Bat Boy now. Oh, it, it does, inter- well, it, I wouldn't say it's it's not like blast. Mm, that's interesting you say it like that because it does have that, it puts you in that mindset 
mindset of like, I need to focus on every last bit of this. Um, I do find it more surmountable than Hollow Knight, mm. um, personally, and Blasphemous, to be honest. I think it is more timing-based. It's more like the later levels of Shovel Knight, or it's more like some of the harder levels in some of the Mario Brothers games. Like, it's just, it is just about specific timing windows and specific, like, um, paths through levels with, like, lasers and slow motion and everything else kicking off. Um, but yeah, I think overall it's extremely well designed. It wasn't at launch, sadly. It took a couple of patches to get there. There were some weird sprite glitches where like some of the en- enemies were getting stuck in the environment or whatever, and your tool set wasn't as uh, reliable as you would want it to be when the game's asking so much of you. Um, but it's been patched now, and it's it's very, very smooth. But yeah, my number eight will be Bat Boy. I want to check that out. You've kind as of well, sold you me on that. There's a few games that you have mentioned and that you mentioned on the um, list that we did about yes. the games that no one is playing that sound really interesting and bat boy you've just sold it to me right there my number eight scott tilford is dead island 2 and look i've counted my list right and six out of ten games this year have been complete surprises right games i didn't expect to see on this list at all in dead island 2 might be the peak of that i mean how doomed did this game look before launch you know it went through a bunch of different developers it was delayed for over 10 years no one had any idea that this weirdly enough was going to be one of the most polished most next-gen feeling games (laughs) that's out at the moment i cannot believe we've had disasters like redfall this year technical disappointments like Jedi Survivor in Dead Island 2 out of the lot has been a pristine game to just pick up and play or recommend. It isn't like, you know, a complete 10 out of 10 you must play this game. Nope. It is a little bit archaic in how it feels. Um, if you've played Dying Light or if you've played the original Dead Island, it's a natural continuation of that. But it's the kind of attention to detail and the bells and whistles that really sold it as an experience for me. Personally, I love early zombie stories when it's not when the world hasn't devolved into a post-apocalypse, when it's kind of fresh, when you've got modern society as we know it now, completely blood splattered and going up against this force that is new and no one really knows um, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, The kind of like gorgeous visuals of LA and the architecture and the level design mimicking real streets is just perfect for me and the attention to detail within those levels um, made the sacrifice from it not being an open world game. More than worthwhile, I just kind of constantly got lost Mm. in looking around these houses, looking at the environmental storytelling on display, looking at some of like the best textured toilets I've ever seen in my life. And all of that stuff elevated, elevated (laughs) what was otherwise, you know, a quite expected and uninspired and mechanical loop. And it just worked. I wouldn't have batted it. I didn't bat an eye to this game whatsoever until we got it in. We got early access. We had previews, reviews, and whatever. And then when you were playing it, and you and Jules were both like, no, this is actually really good. And I was like, what? And then I started looking at the footage for it. And I was like, this actually does look does look like it'll play really well. The gore system's really fun, like in terms of the technical performance. And all the, I don't know if it's ray traced stuff, but the lighting's really awesome. The various reflections through glass are really awesome. The first time I walked around like a, um, an empty wine glass and it bent the entire like image behind it. And I was like, you guys have really paid attention to this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just is this really fun zombie carnage game that like I ended up buying. I like, like I just went out, traded some games in. I must get this game. <laughs> um, Dead Island 2 was one of the first things I thought of when I started building my top 10 of games that genuinely surprised me. Um, it slowly got kicked down and kicked off my top 10 because I can't, I can't ours right there. <laughs> but like still, it's, it, it, it's unbelievable how well this turned out considering the amount of 
Um, it's in development hell. The style articles that did the rounds and just how long it's been since Dead Island 1. Absolutely, man. And I honestly think it's a testament to scale not being everything. You know, this is going to get obvious comparisons to Dying Light 2. Dying Light, of course, being the zombie series that was made by the developers of the original mm. Dead Island. And if you compare... Dying Light 2, which is is way more ambitious. It's, it's got this massive open world. It's got a bunch more mechanics. It's got an RPG story that allows you to befriend factions and make decisions. To me, that game crumbled under the weight of right. all of that. It kind of lost its identity. It lost its mechanical through line where it kind of became... And sorry to people who like this game, but it, it became an Assassin's Creed where there was a right. lot to do, but little motivation to engage with everything. Dying Light 2 isn't as ambitious as that, and maybe not even as impressive in terms of some of the stuff that it tries to accomplish. But within its smaller scale, it kind of just nails everything it sets out mm. to achieve. And it reminds me of your um, saying of, like, what does the game set out to achieve and what does it, like, nail? Yeah. And to me, it kind of doesn't have those grand ambitions or those grand aspirations but there's something to be said about a smaller scoped experience just kind of um, nailing it. And if as long as you know what you're getting in for, I think that's completely fine, especially yeah. in an era where we're struggling to get through 70-hour games. Just give me a nice 12-hour romp with some great zombie gore effects and some stunning world design. That's kind of... Million, uh, million, million percent. That yeah. was the thing that got me on it. I was like, oh, this is actually designed to be finished. Like, uh, Unlike um, Dying Light 2, where they were like, oh, it's 500 hours of gameplay or whatever. Um, yeah, this is just one of those really good 6 slash 7 out of 10 games that is just easily recommendable. Um, and just at the point where I was getting a bit sick of the melee combat, they gave me an assault rifle, and I was like, okay, cool, let's just keep going with this thing. Um, but yeah, it's worth shouting that out just in terms of games no one expected to be worth anything actually being really good. My number seven, um, is the thing this is the last one in terms of overlooked stuff, um, for the most part, but my number seven is Theatre Rhythm Final Bar Line. Nice. Um, which was in my other um, Overlook Games list that we did that be going out as a proper video um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, Theatre Rhythm Final Bar Line, I think is a follow-up to an old 3DS game, but it's on Switch, um, and it literally just is a very, very tight, very satisfying rhythm game, um, but the soundtrack is entirely Final Fantasy. Um, it's just it, they just let you play through everything from like Final Fantasies one through fifteen, all the spin-offs, all the like Crisis Core, um, Advent Children, all those kind of things. Um, and it's just beautiful. Like I mean, and the music-wise, it's beautiful. Visually, it's not the best. They sort of had to compromise somewhere, um, or it feels like they did in terms of getting something like this over the line with Square Enix, who demand the most ridiculous um, expectations in terms of budget and everything else. So visually, it does just kind of look like a mobile game. It's yeah. kind of got like very simplistic sprites and whatever but the things that you're unlocking in terms of the so and the songs you sort of get a you get a key every sort of three or four levels that lets you just jump to a different game if you want to so you don't have you're not stuck playing through like Final Fantasy 2's music if you just want to listen to 7, 6, 10 or whatever um, and I love that approach I love that you sort of do like four or five songs on a soundtrack that you're interested in and then you start unlocking all the best ones all at once and then if you want 100% you can go and do everything else but I just love as someone who adores genuinely adores Final Fantasy's audio footprint it is playing all of that all in one go all right there um is magical like i mean it's, it's beautiful like, I, I had so much fun with this i've almost 100 percented it i need to do like final fantasy like the old ones i need to do the chip tuny ones yeah a lot more but like you're playing through Aerith's theme tifa's theme terror's theme from final fantasy 6 there's just so much here zanakin from final fantasy 10 like there's so much here that is beautiful also if you like the little 
the boys from Final Fantasy 15, uh, <laughs> Noctis and the boys, their little chibi versions running around fighting as you're playing is great. It I sounds mean, like a game designed for you. This, totally. Yeah. That's the whole thing. So in the background, of while, while you're matching all these different rhythms together, your score is uh, then visually represented by the your party of choice attacking various enemies. So you can mix and match. You can have Cloud with Zidane, with Noctis and whatever. Um, but yeah, they're all just fighting as you're playing along to these incredible scores and it's, uh, what else do you want, Josh? Maybe when I finish Final Fantasy 16 and become a Final Fantasy fan, yeah. maybe that's the next port of call for oh, me. If it's not Final Fantasy 6, I, I don't know what else it'll be. <laughs> My number seven is Amnesia the Bunker, which I've mentioned a few times on these podcasts already, so I won't spend too long on it. But this was another huge surprise because Amnesia historically hasn't been a franchise that I've loved. I mm. like the games it inspired more than the games themselves. But this is a completely different beast. This is set in a World War One bunker that you can freely explore, and the puzzles in the game are designed around unlocking new areas within that bunker. Mm. You need to ultimately escape because you're being chased by a monster that lives in the walls and is attracted to sound. Um, but I love it because there's so much more gameplay in here compared to the previous Amnesia games. This is a survival horror game through and through where you have limited resources, you have a gun to scare off um, the enemy, you have grenades that you can even use, but which are obviously incredibly rare. You've got a limited inventory. You've got one main save zone that if you die, you get knocked back to there. Mm. You have um, limited fuel for the generator that you need to um, turn on so you can see where you're going and turn on the lights and the electricity in the entire bunker. And it's just one of those games that has a cool setting that I cannot deny combined <laughs> with um, you know survival horror mechanics that I am an absolute sucker for. And I just hope, I really, really hope that they manage to make a sequel, either a direct or spiritual to this game, because I want to see what more they can do. Mm. The game is kind of more of an immersive sim than it is a survival horror game, or at least it certainly takes inspiration from that, because the very opening text prompt you, you get is experiment. Whatever you think... Um, you'll be able to do with the items you can pick up. You yeah. probably can. You know, try to combine these items. Try to use this item on this enemy and see what happens. Or this item on this door, see what happens. Mm. You can kind of improvise your way around the game, which I really love. There is a procedurally generated element to the game as well, mm. whereby each playthrough is different because it randomizes where items spawn and, for instance, the codes to get to certain rooms or open lockers and whatnot, so I haven't played through it. There's a lot, going on, it. There's really a lot cool. going on with it, right? I haven't played through it a second time to see how impactful that is, but it changes, you know, everything, like I said, from those items to how the monster behaves and where it spawns, so I imagine there's a lot of variation yeah. within that, and like I said, it's 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 a cool proof of concept. It is admittedly a little bit clunky. You can tell that the engine kind of feels its age in a way. I'm not mm. sure if they've if it's a new... I can't imagine it's a new engine, but I don't know yet. if it's what they've used previously. Um, but, like I said, as a proof of concept, great. It's a great experience, and I can only hope they get to expand on it, kind of like Hi-Fi Rush with mm. a proper sequel. I, something like Amnesia, we talked about this on the wind-up, I think, um, is just something that I... The bunker, the way that you describe it, does make me want to check it out. It feels like a good, weirdly a good palate cleanser in amongst all these other massive games because it's like it is something that's designed to be finished and it is... Because it's horror, there's not much else doing horror stuff other yeah. than like Resident Evil and even then it's a different style of horror anyway. Dude, it was an excellent palate cleanser mm. after um, 70 hours of Zelda, <laughs> especially because, you know, it's obviously something completely different um, from a content perspective, from a tone perspective, but also... You you 
can finish the game in like five or six hours. It's oh. really short. It's really compact. Beautiful. Um, without feeling too short or leaving you shortchanged, I imagine, because it has that replayability to it if you want. Um, and there's a lot of secrets in there to find. So it was kind of just the perfect little tonic after... Um, indulging in such lengthy games. I love a little tonic. I think if your go-to in terms of like perking up the old eyebrows is checkpoint placement, mine is definitely, it's less than it's five, six hours long. I'm like, oh my God, I can finish a video game. Like, oh my God. Well, this is the thing, right? Because I know you'll love the length, but I do wonder if the checkpoint placement will make you run a, <laughs> run a mile because the game does encourage like trial and error. Obviously, you're going to run out of fuel for your generator. You're going to get caught by the monster and get mm. instant killed in some cases. And it's going to kick you back to the checkpoint so you're going to have to retrace your steps. I think that's fine if you have a safe zone. That's it. That's fine. That's it. But part of the fun is almost playing it like a roguelike, you know, making those yes. mistakes and then having, un understanding everything you need to do to get everything you need in that area and then just executing it perfectly. It just does mean that um, you have some frustrating runs before you get to that one that succeeds. Interesting. Yeah, I'm very curious about this game. Um, number six for me is Final Fantasy 16, a game that I can't put any higher yet because I'm still playing through it. I also think that I, the way that this thing's rolling out, there are so many moments in it that are easily my moments of the year. Like, um, I'll just say boss battles um, and not going any more than that, but the way that they do scale, the way that they make a lot of the scale playable, um, and the way that they walk that line between things being directly controllable, and then they do a little bit of the quick time events, a little bit of the cutaways. They call them like cinematic flourishes or cinematic clashes. Um, and things like that. I think they do work in the moment. I get that those things are quite outdated, like obviously quick time events, whatever else. Um, but certain battles are kind of elevated by them. Um, and they do end in proper gameplay. So it's like you are kind of finishing the enemy off properly kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, Final Fantasy 16, um, it's still, like I said, I can't put it much higher yet because I haven't finished it yet. I'm fascinated by the story they're telling and um, the pacing that it has. And I've not really looked on fan communities and stuff too much because I don't want any spoilers. Um, but this, the pacing they're going for is is like this really weird Final Fantasy 13 style thing where it opens pretty strong. I mean, 13 opened a bit weirdly, but it then took like 20 hours to get good. Mm. Like I said, I've said this on other podcasts, but 13 has its fans, um, which I kind of view as like Stockholm Syndrome because you've been around <laughs> it for 20 hours at that point. So of course you're going to finally care when things start happening. Um, but 16 has a, a very specific, deliberate, slow pace that because it's kind of taking so much from Game of Thrones anyway, reminds me of the pace of like a mid-season Game of Thrones. Um, and then things would always kick off in episode nine of Game of Thrones. And it feels like I'm building towards that. And so it's been a lot of just spending time with Clive and with one or two other companions. And the character work is really solid. Um, it's just that the story they're telling um, is very mysterious and is very sort of like trying to chase the truth and what really happened and whatever in terms of the inciting incident that happens in the, it was in the demo, but it's at the beginning of the game. And so I can't say that it's all round incredibly satisfying overall. I think the, mad, the uh, music is phenomenal. I think the depictions of combat and um, the depictions of boss battles, the combat you get there and the different modes that you go into are really, really fun um, and just astonishing on a visual level. I think the cutscene direction is absolutely gorgeous and I love the world that they're building. Um, it just hasn't fully come together yet because of the way that the, the line they're walking. Yeah. It's like they're teasing this really big, epic, wider sort of world, this world of um, giant uh, monsters and the, the kaiju-sized uh, creatures. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, what culture gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Cheers, icons and everything, but we're not really getting there. We're doing a much smaller personal story, um, and that's fine. That can be that can be brilliant. But then when you when you have certain reveals that are meant to mean a lot and they don't because the audience knows more than the characters, it's things like that that I think could be done a lot better. So I'm like, I'm curious how it goes overall, yeah. and nothing where I am is definitive in terms of what the actual full story will be. Totally. Um, it's keeping me hooked, and I, I really do love new Final Fantasy energy, so it's it's just one of my top franchises, um, but it's only at number six for now. I would recommend people check out the wind-up that we did this week. Yes. Where we went into this in depth, and I've not played much since then, so I'll just say that it's been a long time since I've played a game, and even though I am early doors, mm. uh, where I don't know which way it's going to go, I could end up loving this thing, <laughs> I could end up loving parts of it, or it might completely sour on me. And that's almost a unique energy to have, because normally you can get a feel for a game mm. in like the c- first couple of hours at least. You kind of know what it is, or you know potentially where it's going. With this, there's so much to latch onto, and so much that isn't my thing, that I'm... It's it's the most it's the game that's released this year that I'm most fascinated to see where it lies because there's so much going on with it. That's but the thing. I'm like, uh, I'm about 11, 12 hours in. I'm just, I'm mopping up side quests because the game gave me a prompt saying, like, hey, if you do this, you can't go back. So I was like, cool, I'll do everything else before I go any further. And I'm still largely, everything you just said there is still largely where I am. Right, I don't, okay. I don't fully know. I just, I know I love Final Fantasy. I know I love the things that it's pulling from. I know that I've had various moments with it where I've literally been dropped jaw like, that's incredible. Um, but that needle isn't pinned remotely or uh, hardly ever, really, at well, the minute. 
So I'll tell you what I know, Scott Tilton. Yes, that Dead Space is my number six <laughs> of the year. And I feel like I've been harsh in Dead Space. Every time we bring it up in podcasts, I'm kind of a little bit dismissive mm. of it. You know, you talk about like not having finished it yet, and I'm like, don't go back. You can you, tell you, me you, you're not bothered. You know what it is. And I think that is valid because if you have played the original Dead Space, you know what the remake is. It's it's just a more technically advanced version of it with a few interesting new wrinkles, like the protagonist, Isaac Clarke, is voiced this time Mm. around and has more of an input in the story. They've changed a few of the combat encounters around. I do think it is better than the original, but it's unfortunately... It came out before Resi 4 changed what remakes can your be life. and changed my life. So I kind of think of it in that early game shadow. But still, Dead Space is incredibly recommendable. Mm. It is scary. It is fully next-gen in terms of its visuals and the pl- way it plays with lighting and um, reflections and all of that stuff. Animations, the, the gore system in this is maybe not as impressive as Dying Light 2, but it's still impressive in the way that you're, you know, tearing down these aliens to their bones in order to <laughs> sever their limbs. It shooting their skin grotesque, off. Shooting their skin off with in some of the insane weapons you've got. I, I think it makes um, great additions to the original Dead Space in that this time around I was way more encouraged to use other weapons Mm. whereas in the original and even its first sequel the plasma cutter was king it's all you needed I don't know what they've done this time around to the um, resource management system and the way it doles out ammo but it always felt like the other guns were viable and Mm. I always had a reason to use them it's just um, it's really solid it's only dragged down and not even really dragged down by knowing what it is because it is just a kind of standard remake Mm. but a really good one of that and if you haven't played Dead Space go out and get it now you will love Dead Space I love the uh, sort of additional survival horror elements they put in there like the bits near the beginning where you're choosing which fuses you're going to put into different uh, doors whether you want to power the lights or whether you want to power different access points so you can get more secrets and stuff I think that's a great trade off for a horror game to make uh, to make Um, do you actually want safety in light or whatever Um, that stuff was uh, much appreciated well they kind of changed the Ishimura which is the ship where Mm. the game is set into an almost Metroidvania-esque location where you can backtrack way more freely now. And there's a reason to backtrack because they have locked doors that you mm-hmm. can't access until you've got certain key cards from later on in the game. So every change was welcome. It's just in terms of um, could I recommend it to someone who played Dead Space 1 recently? Probably not. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that it has going against it because if you've played Resi 4 recently, for instance, mm. I would say you still need to play this year's Resi 4 because it's so different. Yes. Um, but that's, I mean, it's still number six of the year so far and I can see it being on my top 10 at the end of the year because it did make an impact. Mm-hmm. But speaking of Resident Evil 4, my number five is Resident Evil 4 Remake. Well, well, well. I know. I know this is a lot higher on yours and we can get there um, as we get there. So I'll keep my thoughts brief on it and we'll, we'll dive into it a bit later. Um, but yeah, Resident Evil 4 Remake was something that initially, I, I it was one of those games that I didn't know, I didn't necessarily want. I wasn't hankering for it. I always think if the game, the original game is held in a really high regard, then why bother remaking it? Remake the bad games. Do a better better job with the potential mechanics or gameplay ideas or whatever that were in there and make them work for a new audience or make them work in general. Um, Resident Evil 4, the original, is one of the highly regarded games of all time, one of my absolute favorites. And I went back through it um, at the start of this year. And so, I mean, I'm nearly always going back through it because I have it on Switch. I'm nearly always just di- diving back into it. And so it was one of those things where I was playing through the remake going like, ah, I don't really like the way this moves. That it doesn't, it's not snappy. I just like, it's, it's dragging everything out. It's kind of doing like Final Fantasy VII remake kind of thing. And then it just started to click. For me, it, it didn't fully click until I got 
got to the castle about halfway through when you find when you do finally meet Ashley, and then the story really kicks into gear, or at least the level design kicks into gear, and there's a lot more to do. There is a really good bit where you get a boat and you can go around the lake and you can manually find all, loads of different um, items and uh, keys and everything. But for me, it was the castle stuff. And then once it kept the needle, I keep saying keep the needle pinned. That <laughs> needle's pinned. Um, that was when the combat started to shine, and that was when I started having to juggle more enemies and having to think about shooting them in the limbs and using the and the variety of weapons that you get and the quick switching that is in this one that wasn't in the original um, and just all that kind of stuff and how much better Leon and um, Ashley's relationship is just the way that they talk to each other and the way that Ashley's written in general is just so much better um, and I really started to love that um, so yeah we'll we'll get back to that um, I'll uh, yeah we'll get back to that because I know that it's, it's further up your list anyway what is your number five my number five is Dredge again <laughs> that's my number three but is that right yes. right again we both obviously really liked and we have talked about before so I guess we won't talk too much about it today but what a pleasant surprise a yes. lovely little fishing horror game that has you exploring um, a few different islands each populated with their own mysterious characters and histories that you learn about um uh what do you like about it, Scott? Because I know initially <laughs> um, you kind of loved it and then took a break from it. And what makes it higher on your list? Because I wasn't expecting that at all. I, I always grade stuff. Again, it's that thing. Of what were they going for? What did they nail? And I, I always like a pristine package of a game where it's you think about it and it's like not a wasted second, not a wasted frame or whatever. So for me, it was that perfect synchronicity between the art style, the atmosphere, the run that you go on after the beginning of the game when you start getting more ship upgrades and you start battling how long you can stay out um, during the day because there is like a day-night cycle and you start doing that sort of beautiful, you're not even necessarily thinking about it, but like symbiotic connection between the player and the game yeah. where you're going out every day. It's one more run. Let me just go back out. Let me see what I can find. Let me get some fish during the day. Whilst also some of the things that you're catching tease like, the darker side of the game, tease what's really going on and start teasing characters or people that are missing. And like the, the characters will talk about things that happened before you were there. And it's sort of, it builds to this whole idea of like, well, who are you and what really happened here in this like sort of dank Lovecraftian fishing village yeah and you just i think it walks that line really well and i'll never forget the run that i went on where it all just started clicking together yeah. where i started using because you start, start unlocking powers as well which i didn't know you were going to get and um, and when all that comes together you're just motor motoring around these different islands i almost said motorboating there but i won't say it no flying around between all these different islands just hoovering up all the, it's just a really perfect set of loops and i was perfectly hooked on the story and the narrative in general um and the uh the things that you were unlocking i just thought that's it was just extremely well put together yeah man you talk about that flow mm. and when it clicks it is it offers a sense of escalation that just feels unreal. Mm -hmm. Like, I, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you'll know that I'm an absolute sucker for games that allow you to master and conquer a world. And yes. I love that initially in Dredge. The days feel so short, and it feels like you can barely make any progress in terms of the exploration because you can't get from one port to another without, um, you know, running out of light and having the day be over. Mm. You can't carry enough fish to make enough money. But when you start getting those upgrades in, when you start pushing out to the islands further away and you kind of feel more comfortable with your boat, with the environment itself and with the amount of items at your disposal, mm. the way it makes you feel powerful and the way it allows you to uncover the world naturally, naturally and then feel like the king of it, like you've <laughs> been to all of these islands, you've talked to all these people, you know it inside 
inside out. You know the best routes to take. I loved how it unveiled that across its um, few hours of gameplay. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, the mastery, the mechanical mastery over that space was um, just as intriguing to me as the mystery behind the setting. I actually also, I respect the fact that, I didn't personally like it, but I respect the way they handle their endings. I like the fact that if you, you know, if you don't go to a certain part of the environment at the right time, you will get the quote unquote bad ending and it will feel unsatisfying. Um, and I ended up looking up, looking up some other stuff to get the proper ending. And I was like, oh, that's really, that's way better. That's really, really cool. Um, but at the same time, to some degree, a lot of the mystery is the horror. And that is what is so compelling and trying to figure it all out and maybe never getting those crystal clear answers yeah. can be more effective anyway. So it doesn't necessarily need to be the bad ending. Like it, it's just that there are two endings. That's it. I mean, the endings work for me. I kind of think generally I like that open-endedness and player-driven approach to finding the endings mm. within the world, maybe a little bit more than you. I was That's why lucky I respect enough, it, yeah. though, that I <laughs> I kind of naturally, just the way I was playing, naturally stumbled upon both endings and could execute them at the same time. <laughs> like, I did the bad ending, and then I immediately reloaded and had the item to do the good ending and uh. did that and saw them side by side, so I didn't have that kind of frustrating right. um, moment of, oh, I got one ending, how do I get the other? So I was lucky in that regard, but mm-hmm. I thought the bad ending ending was actually better than the quote-unquote good one just in terms of the imagery that you get but of course this kind of horror in particular is so subjective that uh i it's it's you're either gonna like it or you're gonna be like i need a a bit more than that yeah yeah i think also like just it's just worth shouting out that it is just such a unique little game like just meshing the fishing mechanics with this like horror backdrop and then you like i said you start getting various powers and the different ways that you deal with the things you find under the ocean. It's just, if you've got even like mild philosophobia, they play on that really well, where it's like, what the hell is that underneath me right now? Is that a giant set of jaws? Um, all that stuff is extremely effective. Um, my number four is Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Oh! I know! The game that caused you nothing but pain uh, is number Well, that's four. the thing. It didn't cause me nothing but pain. The pain was severe, and the pain <laughs> on the uh, performance mode was horrific, but it's not like that game didn't shine in in spots anyway, and it's a testament to how good that game should be and the experience that a lot of other people had, especially on the quality mode, um, that it's up here anyway, because that was always... The, that was always to crystallize it, the most painful part of playing through it is that you could tell it was a great game there. Um, and when it worked, it was great and certain levels were better than others. Um, and that was when I started enjoying my time with it, where it was just, you know, you weren't stuck on Kobo, which is the more open-ended planet that you get towards the beginning. It was the more directed levels. There's a whole uh, moon base that you go through that thankfully, on, even on performance mode, ran beautifully. And that when it's doing its thing, where you're unlocking different combat mechanics, and even the combat itself is so slick and satisfying yeah. and very stylish. I like a game that lets me be stylish. And um, there's all that stuff to it and the story focus and the amount of different things they're pulling from in terms of wider Star Wars lore, there was a whole run throughout that middle of that game that I just blitzed through and loved it. Hell yeah. Um, the performance mode got in the way all the time. Um, but like I said, it's a testament to how much good stuff was in there that I managed to keep going. So I, there's still a lot to love about it and I did still love portions of my time with it. It just kicked itself in the face every 10 minutes. So I know, it's that such too. a shame because it's it's my number two. Nice. So I might as well talk about it now as yeah. well. And um, I loved it for all of the reasons that you just mentioned. I obviously had a better experience with it than you because I got a, a version of it that mostly worked. Like I had a few frame drips, frame drips, frame drips? a few frame drops, but that was a, about it. Nothing game breaking, certainly nothing that impacted my enjoyment of the combat, thankfully. Mm. And for me, 
Jedi Survivor just has this confidence that I want all sequels to have. It kind of fee- it kind of makes the previous version feel like a tech demo, mm. like or, or a proof of concept. It's almost like you can't go back now. You've tasted what they've um, cooked up this time Honestly, around. Like so much of it gave me Mass Effect Two vibes. Yeah, that I, I mean, definitely. I love Mass Effect yeah. One, but in terms of, like that leap, and yeah. it's like you're talking to the crew, you, you're going between different planets. Like there was so much Mass Effect Two in there. Absolutely, would one hundred percent agree. Can only echo what you said about the combat there being so stylish, being so impactful, being so fun to play. Even this time around, I enjoyed the platforming sections and the explorative sections, which were really cool. Having these open but not open worlds where they kind of take a God of War approach Mm. where you have this these kind of like hubs, these big levels that have Metroidvania elements that keep you um, wanting to return to them to see what's behind this door that you saw 20 hours ago and <laughs> now you can finally open. I thought the story was great. The cinematic presentation of the cutscenes were excellent. It was just a really good Star Wars. And as someone who... Which is rare these days. That's it, right? As someone who could have gone either way on this, I enjoyed the first game, but... You know, this could have proven that that was maybe a fluke or maybe Respawn weren't cut out for third-person games. Nah, I can't wait to see how they raise the bar going forward, and I hope they approach it with the same desire to beat what they have established that they approach Jedi Survivor with. It's just a shame that it has those technical issues. And also, by the way, Mm -hmm. another thing that I loved about this game was how much fun it had with its audience. Like, I thought it was a very funny game, and I thought that it would always kind of subvert your expectations and give you those moments where you just think, you bastards. (laughs) You knew exactly what I was going to do there, and you've thrown this whatever it was in front of me uh, to make me second-guess myself. It just... It has a sense of fun to it. It has a sense of personality to it on top of being a really robust game. My thing was like, if you think about where Star Wars is now, where like you had the sequel trilogy that was divisive or whatever, wherever you come down on those individual movies, it's not, as a trilogy, it's not regarded as highly as it could be. Um, Even the sequel trilogy, sorry, even the uh, prequel trilogy is regarded more high. More high? Higher. And uh, it's one of those things, though, where, like, you think about what Star Wars is now, and they have all these different strands to pull from. Like, is it the br- is it the brutalist in-between era between episodes four, uh, sorry, three and four that, like, um, Rogue One pulled from? Is it the more prequel era where it's more, like, kind of goofy and the uh, different monsters and they're making stupid noises and whatever else? That stuff was always in there in the originals, but not to the forefront. Um, or is it the wider sort of machinations of the galaxy that are in Andor or are in Last Jedi? Like, there's so much that they can pull from, and I think this walks a line between all of it, like, yeah. perfect like this is a really good slice of modern Star Wars that isn't afraid of the goofier parts of the canon but also embraces the more serious stuff yes. and I didn't even know that was possible because Andor is way more in the Rogue One vein and there's not like a goofy character in, in Andor there's a droid but like whatever whereas this has like a, a Scottish diving fish called like Scuva or something and <laughs> um, there's that um, there's the t- the, the Turgle. Um, Turgle I couldn't think of his name and um, there's like a talking frog uh, voiced by the dude who plays Raz in Psychonauts and it's like they're having so much fun with that stuff but then they're not afraid of being really uh, harsh, especially with who the final boss is and things like that. Yeah. Um, that I just think all that stuff really, really works. So there's more that works than doesn't. It's just that the thing that doesn't work underpins the whole thing. Yeah. Um, thankfully now it got patched again last Friday. So it's had six big official patches um, and you would hope that makes it playable. I've now deleted it, but I would love to go through it again. Genuinely, as I played through it, when you're playing a game that has like broken performance, it's always like, man, I kind of want to do this all again because I'm getting this weird version of it. And um, I would love to go through it again on a new game plus or something. So I'm curious about doing that. That was my number four. Oh, was your number four? My number four is The Legend of Zelda Tears oh. of the Kingdom coming in just outside the top three. And this is more 
personal opinion, completely subjective than it is an objective view of the game. Mm. I think it's a completely recommendable experience. I had so many five-star moments within it. I think if you haven't played Breath of the Wild, especially, you'll probably just think it's magic. You'll right. have the best time of your life. Unfortunately for me, it was just a little bit too similar to Breath of the Wild, and I hold that game up so high Same. because of the revolution that it ushered in and how unique its open world felt at the time. That said, I don't want to dwell on the negatives because Zelda Tears of the Kingdom has a lot of positives. I love the new powers that they introduced. I love the way it gets you thinking outside of the box for all of its puzzles. I love the two new areas that introduces, those being the depths and all of the sky islands. It has a lot going for it and it hits more than it doesn't. Just in terms of personal love for it, I don't feel it as strong as I expected to. And maybe I just, my expectations were too high. Like this is a game that I was looking forward to, avoided all the marketing for, bought a new controller to play. So <laughs> I spent like 120 pounds just right. on this game alone. And maybe if I allow it to sit for a few months and by the end of the year, I might think, oh no, I was a bit too harsh on mm. it. But right now in the moment, great game, fourth best of the year, just doesn't have the love like the, the the it's in me appeal of the top three. That's my Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is my number two mm. because it's one of those things where I do I feel exactly the same as you. It didn't latch on as much as Breath of the Wild. Um, it didn't blow me away. It, it almost couldn't because Breath of the Wild was in itself this massive reinvention of this like storied IP with so many cool ideas. And I think also because it dropped in 2017, it just felt so fresh yeah. because it was an answer to the most boring corporatized version of open worlds that we were all sick of. So to do that again and then the major new feature is the um, the like ability to make stuff and all the different Zonai technologies and everything. That's fun. I think for me, it never truly, or it never truly um, doesn't feel like a gimmick. It feels like a thing that is fundamentally bolted onto Breath of the Wild. Um, but overall, like I said, not to dwell on the negatives, I still have it at number two um, so far this year just because of, of those five-star moments. Like if I'm getting really serious about my time with the game, it, it, it delivered something every 10, 15 minutes that I took a photo of or I took yeah. a video of or whatever. I couldn't believe that something had happened. I couldn't believe they thought of something. And whether that was like down the story side of things, I love this vision of Zelda. I love all the things that she does in this story. And things like the way that they handle the Master Sword, like I love that stuff. It's playing off a history of the franchise um, in terms of the investment in those in the iconography and in the characters. Um, but they have a lot of fun with it. And they, they do elevate things cinematically that they've never done before. And the nearest being like Skyward Sword or something. So, there are a lot of highs. I just yeah. think it's a fascinating game to talk about in a long term because I feel like I absolutely demolished it for the review. I did like a hundred. I did seventy hours in in the first four or five days or whatever it was in the first week, um, and it's just one of those things where it is obviously an extremely well-made game. It doesn't have the talents that Breath of the Wild does, but that doesn't discount it from still being immaculate. Exactly. It's just that it's up against a hundred scoring video game. That's it. And in, in, if I didn't have this job where we talk about new video games all the time mm. and we want to populate lists like this and we want to devour as much as possible, mm -hmm. I kind of think I would have waited because it, it dropped. It's such a hot moment where I'd come off my literally number one and number two games of the year. Right, right. So it's, it's not just going up against my thoughts on Breath of the Wild, but it's going up against these amazing games that I absolutely mm. adored. I kind of wish that I got to play it in a bubble, in a vacuum, maybe at the end of the year when there was nothing else out. <laughs> but I didn't. I played it in this context where it had all of this direct competition and it was still amazing. So I can't really complain also, too much. I'm eating well. Yeah, I was going to say, the way the industry's rolling out, like when is the next lull? There's yeah. kind of a lull in July, but that's about it. Um, so yeah, that would be, uh, that's my number two. That was your number four. Awesome. So my number three was Dredge, which we covered before. Yes. Your number three? Is Stay Out of the House. So 
nice. Thing. I'm going to be absolutely praising all year. I hope <laughs> it'll be an this amazing year. It's going to be something special. It man. is, man. But I don't know if it's just something special for me or right. if it's something special in general. Because if you designed a video game made to appeal to me, it would be this. It's a first-person <laughs> survival horror game with PS1-style graphics that has a VHS grindhouse visual overlay on top. It oh. is slow and atmospheric and it is not going to give you jump scares all of the time. It has a persistent enemy that follows you around the house. If you don't know, the premise is you are the victim of a serial killer and you're given three days to escape the house and the killer has set up a bunch of traps and he is haunting the corridors looking for you and trying to scare you. Mm. You need to solve a bunch of puzzles to Puzzles, not puddles. Puzzles to escape the house. Um, its its visual style is amazing. It is has an incredible sound design. The noise the serial killer makes every time he's alerted to your presence chills my spine. <laughs> even though I've heard it probably fifty times by this point. Right. Um. I. It, it's it's one of those games where I didn't know the publisher who was called Puppet Combo, and now I want to play every single thing they have ever made. Um. If you like retro kind of indie horror experiences. I would absolutely recommend it. I can't believe it's only £15. I feel like I've robbed them. <laughs> I genuinely think like... Do they have a PayPal? Yeah, I'm like, I, I kind of want to phone them up and be like, are you sure? I, do I not owe you I've a little more bit money. more? I'll, I'll send it I over. I love this so much. It's it's a shorter game. It's about seven hours long, or at least oh, it took beautiful. me seven hours to play. has a lot of similarities with Amnesia the Bunker in terms of its setup, its inventory management, even its weapon that you have to... Um, you, it's a revolver, so you have to open the cylinder to check how many rounds you've got left. You you need to empty those rounds slowly. You need to put the bullets in one by one to repel the enemy. Um, yeah, but it's uh, it was a complete surprise. Like I can't, be- I literally can't believe I'm on this podcast right now saying it's better <laughs> than neither. Zelda. It sounds like such a hipster pick to make, right. doesn't it? Right, but I genuinely believe in it. Um, I think it'll be in my top five at least at the end I'm of the year. Have to play this game, um, and like I said. Yeah, you kind of do and you kind of don't. I would have to at this point. It certainly won't be for everyone, but if everything I've sound, uh, if everything I've said there sounds like your cup of bovril, you should give it a try. Man. <laughs> it feels like this year's Signalis in terms of a throwback thing. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so my number two, like I said, was Tears of the Kingdom. Your number two was Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Yes, which leads it to my number one, which is Street Fighter Six. Oh! Just can't move the king. The king is sitting on the throne. The king fills out that throne and won't be moved. Street Fighter Six is just, just immaculate. I mean, find a flaw like. <laughs> You can't. It's one of those things where you look at a veteran studio like Capcom, you look at how badly they treated the Street Fighter IP across the last 10 plus years um, since Street Fighter 4. Street Fighter 5 was just this weird sacrificial lamb on the altar of esports, and it was completely wasted. It was a complete waste of a release um, in the mainstream anyway. I know that the esports side of it did pick up enough. They still did a whole bunch of tournaments and everything else. Um, but as people, or sorry, someone like me who absolutely loves Street Fighter overall, who was brought up on Street Fighter 2 and 3 and 4 and all the various um, installments in between, you you were waiting for them to do something like this. And could they do it? That was the thing in the run-up to this because the art style was a little bit divisive um, in terms of it sort of leaning into a Spider-Verse style or whatever you want to call it. Um, I love all of that stuff. I love the sound design. I love the way even the menus are animated. I love all that stuff. I love that they did like a campaign, which is kind of like a final fight style thing where you're just mm. brawling with dudes on the streets. Um, still, You still play it side on. It still plays like a fighting game, but you're going up against like five or six of the dudes or whatever. Kind of like the Tekken Force mode um, in the old Tekken games. I used to love the Tekken Same. Force mode. I, I I always wanted Namco to do more of that. They did Urban Rain, which is like a little spin-off thing, but they should do a Tekken Force game. Just yes. Tekken Colon Force do that. Um, but yeah, there's just 
so much about the presentation, the intent. Again, golden rule, what were they going for? What did they nail? The three pillars of Street Fighter VI are the campaign, which is fun enough. A lot of the dialogue in there is really, really funny. Um, and a lot of the things that you're doing is just an excuse to punch everyone in the face. You can run up to any NPC and just uppercut them to start a fight. <laughs> and they, they all know martial arts. They all fight you properly. Yeah. Um, so there's that. The middle pillar is the battle hub, which is all the online stuff where you're playing in like a big digital arcade. And while you're waiting for fights, you can just play old Street Fighters and other Capcom games. Genius. Absolutely mm -hmm. brilliant way to do a lobby system. Um, and you can also just sit at the digital cabinets and wait for someone to sit with you and have like, you know, I was fighting this dude. We had like 20 different uh, uh, rematches because I would get three up. He would get three up. It was great. Like you have those little sort of like what you would have in an arcade and it's like winner stays on and someone keeps putting their money down to keep going and they nail that stuff. And then the other stuff is just the offline arcade stuff, which is like every character has an arcade ending. Uh, there's obviously the tutorial side of things and everything else to get used to, to really like make sure that you know the intricacies of Street Fighter. Every single pillar works with each with each other. It just is this really great trifecta of Street Fighter-ness mm. and I can't get enough of it. It's brilliant. It's perfect. So... That's my game of the year for, for now. And you know what? Everyone seems to love this game. It's Still one of good. those rare releases where everyone just kind of comes to the consensus of, oh, no, this is brilliant. Yeah. You know, Capcom haven't missed in years at this point. And They're in the form of their lives right now. Even as someone who isn't a Street Fighter fan, I'm looking at people enjoying this game with envious eyes, <laughs> thinking I can't wait until... I can justify jumping on when there are fewer games or the game mm. itself comes down in price because everyone has just ridiculous amounts of praise for it. It seems like this franchise is back on top and thankfully for someone like me, it also seems like the most accessible Street Fighter ever made, By which far. is very appealing as well. Mm -hmm. Now that's the thing. They've prioritized that stuff. They obviously knew it was going to be a big deal. It's been eight years since that, since uh, Street Fighter V um, and this one comes with a whole new control scheme, like all these different mods. It's called, it's called modern, so there's a lot more easier ways to do special moves and signature moves get you that shortcut to the really great screen filling finishes that people want to do and people know Street Fighter 4 um, you know in terms of like doing a fireball that's the size of the screen or doing like a 20 hit combo that ends in a slow motion freeze frame or whatever it is things that people love Street Fighter 4 that I feel are just out there like yeah. the iconography of the series um, was always kind of blocked a little bit because you then have to go in and be like okay it's like I need to roll my thumb twice left and then hold left and then do whatever they've got ways you can get around that but I think the beauty of that is that the modern control scheme um, hold some of the more complex moves back from you. So if you really do want to master it, you are then encouraged to learn it properly. And I find that they walk that line really, really well. Um, so yeah, that's my number one. Love it, man. My number one, we've already talked about it, but I'm going to gush about it again. Please Resident do. Evil 4. Another Capcom, Capcom one, Capcom, baby. Two, even though they're completely different uh, games, two Capcom entries for both of our respective number ones. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. If my number two, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, is how I personally want all sequels to be approached, Resident Evil 4 is how I want all remakes to be approached. Ooh. This is a game that I didn't expect to love as much as I did. Honestly, if you asked me last year which one was I looking forward to more, Dead Space or Resi 4, mm. it would have been Dead Space, but this surprised me because Resi for, like you said when you were talking about it, the original, one of the best games ever made still. Like, it totally. still holds up. It's incredible. We were all asking, how can you even remake that game when someone can play it now and have a whale of a time. Well, apparently it's like this. It's <laughs> remixing it just enough to feel modern by, but still keeping the ethos of what made the original so good. The mm. way they've tweaked the combat in this game to make it, like you said, a little bit more sluggish, but still incredibly satisfying like to Red play. Kind of yeah. like Red Dead or, or Max Payne 3 um, is right up my alley. I like my survival horror games a little bit sluggish, a little bit difficult to fully master. And... 
I love what they did with the lore this time around. Famously, the original Resident Evil 4 had a paper-thin story they mm. cobbled together in a, like the last few weeks <laughs> or whatever it was, and it was just you can really thrown tell. in there. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely can. In the, in that game works with that in mind, like it's part of the mm. charm. But here, this is a more direct sequel to the Resident Evil 2 remake, and they make more callbacks to that, and they make the game overall a little bit more grounded, or at least more cohesive yeah. with its tone. There's and not I, that bit where Leon goes on that weird platform with the giant wheels on it. Yeah, and he's yeah, like not that driving bit. through the... Thankfully, that's not there. That's it. There's not that bit, but there is still a bit where he fights a bunch of knights with the plaguer in them, and yep. he says, nighty night knights. That was the bit where I knew I would love this video game. There you go. So I'm not saying like the, the story or the tone of Resident 4 is better than the original. Like I, I'm not even necessarily interested in saying which one is better. Just that this is a good interpretation of it. It's a, mm. it's a, it's a good different. Um, and both in my head like exist side by side as two of the best games ever made. Like if Dead Space replaced the original, this complements it. And yes. it's just, when you finish it, I would encourage you to go back to that original and play that as well. So mm. you can appreciate those differences even more. Kind of like Jedi Survivor as well. I also like the dialogue that it has mm. with the player because it knows a lot of people have played this game before. And even if you just play the opening village um, area, which mm. is, of course, iconic and also in the original, if you try to do certain things you did in the original game, like go up the clock tower, it'll have a surprise for you. It'll <laughs> make the floor drop out from under you so you can't exploit the same exploit you could back in the day. Mm -hmm. That open dialogue is amazing. It's very reverent to its um, history, but isn't afraid to do something new, and this is the only game on this list, like Elden Ring last year, where after I'd finished it, after I put 60 hours into a 15-hour campaign, I didn't want it to end. I could have, I could be, if there wasn't, like I said, if I wasn't doing this job, if there weren't more games coming out, I'd be still playing Resident Evil I was going to say, you 4. still finished it six times. Yes, I know. That's a hell of a oh, thing. Six times. It's worth saying that, from my side, for Resi, I think when you said, like, oh, this is how, you know, remakes should be done, it is worth saying just how unique it is to pull this off and not invalidate the original. It feels like it stands right next to it. Yeah. And it's like, if the original was indicative of what would become all the trends across the mid-2000s um, with, like, the over-shoulder camera and the different approach to aiming and things that were already in, like, Operation Winback or Kill Switch, like, this is that, like, it's, it's that for now. It is the Red Dead, the Max Payne, the more weightier approach to mature video games. All the stuff that Sony's built their house on yeah. um, doing that approach for Resident Evil. I just, I love that they both exist yeah. and that one complements the other. One will make you curious about the other. And there's a generational appeal uh, based on which one you grew up with, but they both totally work. That's it. And they both have like strengths and weaknesses. You could compare them forever. You know, mm. my ideal video game is probably the way the modern game plays with the art style of the original, but Ooh. even encouraging those discussions, discussions, discussions is is kind of fascinating because, mm. like I said, it's it's kind of less interesting to say that one is better than, than the other, but to say. Why did this take work compared to the way this take also worked back in the day? Like you said, they, they exist side by side, and mm -hmm. that is really, really rare. Yeah, it should be massively um, uh, praised. So 10 to 1 for me is Aka R, Diablo 4, Bat Boy, Theater Rhythm, Final Barline, Final Fantasy 16, Resident Evil 4 Remake, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, Dredge, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and Street Fighter 6. My 10 to 1, let me get this back up, is number 10, Hi-Fi Rush, number 9, Warlong Fallen Disney. 
Dynasty, number eight, Dead Island 2, number seven, Amnesia the Bunker, number six, Dead Space, number five, Dredge, number four, Tears of the Kingdom, number three, Stay Out of the House, number two, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and Resident Evil 4 at number one. That is an unbelievable year when you start running it all down. Um, Massive thank you to everybody for listening. Hopefully you've got some other picks that you can let us know about over on social media, and we'll be having a, a video version of the most overlooked video games in the near future as well. We absolutely will. Yeah, tell me what other games I need to somehow cram into the schedule before 2023 is out. I'm going to get Bat Boy and give it to your face in the next <laughs> half hour. But for now, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you throughout the week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.